I think what solopreneurs lack in general is a like sense of belonging or like a tribe around them because like it's in the nature of what they do they work alone right so I think there's like a major disconnect for many people which I think is why a community for solopreneurs would be amazing yeah. hello and welcome to imagine AI live podcast I'm your host Chris Madden and we have with us today Ola from AI solopreneur and very excited to have him on the show because he's also a speaker at Imagine AI Live Conference in Las Vegas that's happening just two months from now. So we're very excited to have you here today. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, man. Thanks for inviting me. I'm, I'm excited. Awesome. Well, I told you beforehand that I kind of wanted to treat this like we were meeting at a hostel in Thailand. And <laughs> yeah. guess what? You're in <laughs> Thailand. And what are you doing in Thailand? So I've been coming to Thailand for the last seven years now. And it's a mixture of just meeting old friends, but just like working from a different spot um, in the world, getting some inspiration, getting some good food in. That's basically it. For sure. Yeah. I actually lived in Thailand in 2013. And I was an English teacher in Bangkok and we lived there for a year. So I moved to Thailand because I loved Thai food. I had always wanted to go to Asia and I was like, what, but what country in Asia? And the only one that kept coming to my mind was Thailand because the food is so good and I wanted to have authentic Thai food. And I was very impressed with the country. So where are you right now? You're on the beach or? I'm in Koh Phangan. It's Koh mostly Phangan. famous for. Yeah full moon parties but like not here for the full moon party it's also great if you're into sports uh if you're into, into yoga breath work all the classic uh, twitter bro shit you know <laughs> <laughs> i visited there as well i was actually there on a full moon parties all right you run ai solopreneur which is a very famous newsletter that focuses on how entrepreneurs can use ai and you've got over thirty thousand subscribers now and I wonder, what was the catalyst for creating that? Uh, it's funny because I also started it right at the same spot here um, around like 10 months ago. Like the idea was born in Thailand. Honestly, it was just like a, a rough idea. I was like, oh, I was going to try it on the side. I think like I've been um, in crypto for a long time. And I think I'm kind of good at spotting trends at the right time when they have like a certain momentum to them. And for me, it just... I don't know, it just came together really nicely um, in terms of I wanted to start something new after the, like I'm still very involved in crypto, but especially after FTX, which was like a, a big scam and I got um, involved in that. So I was kind of pissed off. So was looking for something new, um, some, look for, was looking for something that's also not as cyclical as uh, the markets are. Obviously there's also hype cycles to AI, very obvious, but it's not as something goes up in price, everyone loves it. You know, it goes down in price, everyone hates it. So I was like, oh, and this AI thing is kind of an interesting mixture um, of topics I'm, I was interested in. And I was involved with social media for the last years on and off a little bit. I started as an artist, so I had background in like, creating like purely from an art view. And then I was really into business. And for me, AI, just personally, it kind of fell into the middle for me because I could use it to create stuff for my content. Like you can also do all these crazy business things with it. So it kind of hit a nerve with me and I immediately felt like, there's momentum there and something big is happening. And I think like every couple of years or maybe even only every decade, you have this like big monumental shift where you can just feel something's happening. You can't really tell like how big it's going to get. You just know it's going to become much, much bigger. And that's all I knew for that. So I started at the, the crossroads I felt comfortable with, which was uh, creating content um, and just exploring my curiosity. And coming back to your question, like about the growth, I think 
one of the reasons why this account grew so fast that it really dominated a sub niche um, because I was mainly talking to solopreneurs and solopreneurship was already really big. You have guys like um, Justin Welsh talking about solopreneurship. People love this on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and you already had this huge following. And every time you have a new trend, I think there's like, there's this, like this opportunity window where you can just combine, like you, you can stack trends basically. Um, that's how I like mm -hmm. to call it. So I was like, okay, I was a solopreneur for a long time. So I really know from the inside out. And I had this new topic I was super interested in, which was AI. I just combined it. And to be really honest with you, it like took off almost immediately. I think the wow. third post I had already brought me about above like a thousand followers. Obviously there was kind of um, a mechanism to the madness, but also definitely mo momentum played a big role in it. And like, that has to be very clear here. So people were hyped about it. And if you have something that's really hyped, I think it's also important to understand that if you see a lot of like hate or like uncertainty about the topic, lo lots of like bad comments, that's actually good for growth, right? Because it gives you more exposure. And last year around, I think April, yeah, it was April. Like on every AI post you would do, most people would be like, oh, no one uses this. Who needs this? This is bullshit. <laughs> and all these, like, these really like made these posts like just grow exponentially. So it's also interesting in terms of like sentiment uh, in the society that really played into the growth. Yeah, good news travels fast, but bad news travels faster. And yeah, <laughs> for sure. Is, uh, <laughs> it's not even bad news, right? <laughs> no, it's yeah, controversial news, controversy. So I think the the name is great. It's very, it's kind of self-explanatory, blends two things. Yeah. <laughs> Where'd you get the logo idea? So an octopus, and I don't want to get this wrong, it has a lot of brains. That's basically the idea, right? And for me, a solopreneur is someone who has to wear different hats, you know? Today I'm wearing the beige hat, maybe I'm doing some marketing, then I wear my pink hat because I have to do some sales stuff or I have to talk about product, whatever. So you have all these different roles as a solopreneur. So you kind of have these different brains that multitask all the time. And I think that's really where AI comes into play, like helping you to take some of these roles and like really enhance your own brain into this like octopus-like state. So I always think like having an animal as your logo always works really well if you do it. For example, I always use the octopus emoji in my emails and no one else is, is using them. So if people get an email from me and they see an octopus, 99% will know it's from me. There was kind of a, like a second order effect, I would say, if it wasn't planned or anything. I was just thinking about, okay, what is animal that has like a lot of brain power? And I think I actually searched in ChatGPT and asked it and it came up with an octopus. And then <laughs> my girlfriend is, he's a designer. And so the logo is actually a combination of um, like something on a motherboard, like a Platine is in German. Um, I'm not sure the English word. So it's like an electronic part, basically mixed a with the, the a circuit board. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's like a circuit board and the octopus. So it was kind of the play there. And why did you choose Beehive over Substack? I think at the time, to be honest with you, I just saw loads of Beehive news and I was like, I guess that's good. You know, I guess that's great. Yeah. Me personally, I just feel like Beehive is like a more like modern brand. They know how to talk on Twitter. They know how to play into meme culture. They have such a like fast iteration and feedback loop with customers that's really impressive. So if anything happens with Beehive, usually one of the founders or their VA, I don't know, someone from the team basically will contact you on Twitter and just ask you, but oh, okay, we look into the problem. Maybe we come up with a solution. We'll let you know. And sometimes they like just ship something like next week. So that's uh, pretty impressive. What is the advantage to Substack in your mind? Oh yeah, the question was about Substack, right? Yeah. I just had a look at Substack once and I just didn't like the design. Like I really, I care a lot about design and you know, 
just to be honest with you. I think Substack has some really cool features um, around paid newsletters. The biggest page, I think they're most of them, they are all on Substack. Like Lenny's newsletter, I think is on Substack. I also heard that they are pretty well funded, which obviously is also interesting to keep in mind. Okay, is this a company that has a lot of firepower left to maybe come up with like great new features? And I was talking to Nicholas Cole from Ship30 and he's really bullish on Substack and I told him I have a look. So I'm open, like I'm not married to any platform, but... Obviously, the longer you build on one of the platforms, like always, you get used to it, right? And as long as it sends emails and the emails arrive, I'm happy. <laughs> and when you talk about your product that you're you know, delivering, selling, what, what are your products? Is it the newsletter itself? Are you, do you have products within that newsletter that you offer? Can you break that down for us? Yeah. So I have one main product at the moment. The next one's coming out in three to four weeks maybe a little bit sooner. But cool. up to this point, I've been selling one product, which is the AI Audience Accelerator. And that basically breaks down um, growth strategies using AI um, for Twitter and LinkedIn. So it starts with a little like introductory ChatGPT course, because I think most people, they don't have foundation to really understand what they're using. And so I'm starting with that. And then it's like a, a lot of in-depth prompts for creating content that I also use for my stuff. So it's about creating tweets, creating LinkedIn posts, creating long-form newsletter stuff. And I've launched this course first time, 1st of August last year. And it, it went way better than I expected, to be honest. I knew that there was like some signal there that people want that product, but um, it just had really great product market fit. And I've been selling it ever since, uh, every day, basically. <laughs> so um, that's been growing great. So I really like building products yeah, like in the kind of AI education space. And I still think the knowledge gap is still immense. We are kind of in a bubble, right? Because we talked to a lot of people in AI. And at the beginning, I thought I was, I, I had a disadvantage not being like a technical guy that knows anything about machine learning or I'm in AI since, I don't know, like 1998. And some people just claim you know, these things. <laughs> They've been in AI forever. I wasn't, I, no, I didn't really care about it two years ago. And I thought I was disadvantaged, but... Now building products, I realized it's really an advantage because I, I was looking at more from a like beginner's mind or like from someone who's like one year ahead, six months ahead of someone buying a product. And I really got into building these entertainment slash info products. So I'm spending a lot of time doing that right now. My next product is about like the next step. Like once you've created content, um, you want to monetize and kind of I'm using my example of how I've done it and I'm building a course right now how to build a complete course mainly using uh, Claude for that. But that's uh, that one took longer than expected because it's actually quite difficult um, because the product before that was like kind of one-off things like, oh, I want to write a tweet or I mm -hmm. want to write a LinkedIn post. But building a course is this like massive thing, right? Like from finding that idea that's really worth monetizing, listening for your audience signals, like, okay, is this something people want to buy? Actually coming up with the structure, writing the lessons, coming up with the marketing, setting up the sales funnels all that stuff. But yeah, all of this will be inside the course and it will be released in February, mid to end February. As a teacher, I find that very valuable to produce something one time. You put a lot of energy and thought into making this product that gives a lot of value to the end user. The first product that you released that you're talking about. So how does it get delivered? Is it like a PDF? Is it like a course that they go through? Because you put a lot of time into creating it and then once it's distributed, is there check-in points or could you explain that a little bit more? 
Um, so once they buy, uh, so my checkout is via Thrivecard, they just get an automated email. The last course is just hosted in Notion. It's like a Notion, but in the end, it's like a regular video course. So every lesson is a video, but also has a text part if you want to read it instead. And another part, like to copy the prompts, I'm also using TextBlaze, which is a cool little tool where, for example, I have like a prompt, let's say for Twitter posts, and I could just call it Twitter post, and you just have to type uh, forward slash Twitter post, and then it will auto-populate the prompt. So I'm using tools like that. So people don't have to like go into the document copy the prompt go back into chat gpt or whatever but yeah it's the notion but the next course will be hosted in circle or in school so i'm not sure right now alex famosi is pushing school hard <laughs> at the moment but in the end i don't think the platform is super important like it's way more important to like reduce the friction inside your product as much as possible before you think about platform at all like to really make it as simple as possible entertaining as possible really start at zero so like thinking enough about the fundamentals of what makes a good learning experience i think that's really kind of overlooked and if you're a teacher you probably know about that but it was something that i kind of struggled with sometimes when i was buying courses there was no fun involved right you could just buy a product it's like oh it's like someone just recorded video shitty quality bad lighting just like talking out of their head no structure at all so it's interesting because i came up with a course now how to build a course and while writing that course i had to go really deep in understanding like what makes a good course and what is a good structure for a lesson for example right and because you have to teach claude how to write it you have to understand it yourself like what is actually good lesson actually look like so that was interesting for me to go through that process for sure with your newsletter, what is the cadence you try to go for? How do you get inspiration for what you're going to write in the newsletter? Yeah, there's definitely a formula. So I send twice a week, Wednesday and Saturday, since the inception of the AI Solopreneur. So I, one day I missed. <laughs> I thought it was it was Wednesday, <laughs> but it was Thursday. So besides that, always the same days. I think it's a mixture of, because I've already put out so much content that you can really listen for signals. So some editions will just get more responses or more questions. So if you're a content creator, it's so important to listen for that. Um, listen to your audience, ask people. If you have something coming out and just see people share it more, that's the signal. And every time that happens, I just ask myself, can I go like more in depth for the topic? Or is there like a topic next to it I could look into the next time? Or could I like zoom out a little bit? of the same topic. So I like really thinking about, okay, what is the idea behind it? Uh, most of the time it's like, okay, what is the interesting idea behind it? And how can I talk more about it? That's a very easy way to come up with new content. Then some of it really is just like me trying out stuff. And I'm always looking for the AI stuff that's not like trying to impress anyone, but that's really useful. There's like something, for example, I just employed or like I hired a, a VA for myself and I'm, I'm just like playing around with prompts for her, which is like just basic communication stuff and it's nothing mind-blowing but it's just really helpful right it saves her and myself time every day makes everything easier so i'm really trying and i talk to people and i have some friends like and we just exchange ideas and sometimes it's just like out of a conversation and i also like to look at the like kind of classic solopreneur frameworks that are put up by some other people and just ask myself like how could i look at this through the lens of ai or like older russell brunson like classic online marketing stuff basically if you run like a solopreneur business or even a bigger business doesn't matter you have all these like single problems like you challenges you face and every time you face something you can just ask yourself could AI help me with that? And if yes, you can write about it. So it's it's really all those like little challenges that come up. And I think that's the best way because like I'm not imagining some challenges someone might have, but it's really like, okay, this is stuff that I think about daily. Mm. The demographic of your users, are they also like in the AI space or are they, they small business owners that are trying to use AI to improve their small businesses? 
or are they mostly like AI enthusiasts that are trying to do kind of similar things as you? I think it's a bit of all of these. You definitely have a good part of people who want to go down the, I want to create content, I want to work online, I want to start an online business part, or they already run these businesses and they want to improve it with AI. But you also have people running bigger businesses who want to keep it up to date and just want to feel the pulse of what's happening. I think that's also a big part of it. But yeah, I think most of it really are solopreneur, like big surprise here, right? You call the challenge AI solopreneur. It's either people who work as solopreneurs or who want to become solopreneurs. So there's most of it. And most of them are also interested in creating content and creating some kind of digital asset, selling their knowledge, productizing mm. their service, stuff like that. Yeah. So you mentioned having a virtual assistant. Do you work with other people? Is that your first virtual assistant you've had? Uh, myself, I have yeah. a team of editors behind me, some virtual social media manager. Like One of the services we provide is short form content and clips for podcasters and yeah. distributing it across social media. So we need a team of virtual assistants, virtual editors. And I'm wondering for your business, you know, what's the team look like? So I've been working with some freelancers. My assistant is full-time, but I'm also building a team with full-time members right now to really expand the business and to kind of get myself more to the high-level thinking part of the business and so I can work more on the business and not on the daily stuff. So I still want to be involved in the content part because I think it's also kind of my identity, what kind of builds the brand. That's important that you don't disconnect from everything and you just, you know, hire a lot of people. And I basically want to turn what I do more into like an education company. Then it's just me as a personal brand. And uh, that would also mean that I will most likely disconnect myself a little bit more from the brand as a face or maybe introduce someone else as well, like build a team around, maybe like put less focus on myself. I think that's the, a better way to put it. It's not like that I want to take myself out of the business so I will still be running everything. But um, I'm really interested in like asking myself, how can I make this not a personal brand, but like a education company kind of fueled by several personal brands and really like going down, okay, this is an education company, not a personal brand talking about AI. Mm, that's great. So with that, the community is really important. And you, you talked about uh, starting something on school. I'm just wondering, is there a place for AI solopreneurs to connect with each other, like to chat? And is there a Slack room? Do you have plans for that personally for your newsletter users uh, to like kind of instill that community? Because I feel like once you have a community around your brand or your your newsletter, your, your school you want to build, it's a really important part of of building what you're trying to build. Yeah. So I've actually started a community too early. So I made the move too early and I've been running um, communities in crypto for some time. So I had experience and I think most people really underestimate what it takes to run a great community because most communities are not good. You know, people don't come back. The churn is, it becomes this almost cringe thing, right? You have the chat room and there's like one message every week and it's, everyone's kind of still in there. It's like, mm, okay, nothing's happening. You don't want that. I really learned from people like Jay Klaus, who runs the uh, creator science lab, uh, which I think is one of the best like creator communities. So I want to go back into a community part, but only once I've hired someone full time uh, to help me with some other stuff, because community is like a crossroads, right? Like I think once you open it, you really have to commit to it longer term. It's not like most people think they can open up something and it will just like take care of itself. That happens in like zero 
0.001% maybe. If there's something that people are just so passionate about that they can't stop talking about it and like the community does everything for free and you have like moderators and all that stuff. Yeah, sometimes you have that, but it's very rare. So I think like running a community is like more like a product as well. You have to think about it like a product. What is the actual value proposition of your community? What are the expectations? How can I deliver it? What is like my infrastructure behind that? And I want to be very clear on that this time before I do it again. But still, on the other hand, I think what solopreneurs lack in general is a like sense of belonging or like a tribe around them because like it's in the nature of what they do. They work alone, right? So I think there's like a major disconnect for many people, which I think is why a community for solopreneurs would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, so where are you working most of the time? Like you're in Thailand, you say you go back to Thailand every year and you're from Germany originally? Yeah. Yeah, I'm from Germany. Yeah. This community that you're talking about, do you find that in the real world? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. So first of all, like I travel quite a bit, but I think I'm going to do less of it. Every time you travel, it takes a lot of energy to set up again, to get in. I'm quite good at working from kind of anywhere but i'm feeling like i'm becoming a little less uh, <laughs> open to the idea but yeah right now um my company is located in cyprus and i spent a couple of months a year in cyprus which also is in the eu and my company is there so i also have a residency there like i go to asia for like two months a year maybe three months then i spent some time in other parts of europe i really like eastern europe cities like budapest i like a lot i want to go to warsaw uh, or krakow this year in poland I think you have to be like community wise. I think you have to make an like active effort to find people. And that's something I realized again, like when you have a social media account, the best thing you can do with a following is to connect with people. And it's also the hardest thing to do. So for example, I send out this newsletter on, I think Saturday it was, yeah. And one guy replied, was like, Hey, yeah, I, I've been living in Bangkok for 20 years now. I'm running this VC firm here. And if you're still in Bangkok, like I want to take you out to lunch, let's just chill and talk a bit. And I love that stuff the most about it. And I think that's something people can do, even though if they have just a hundred followers, maybe. And that's something I really want to do myself more of to be like, Hey, I'm here. If anyone's here, let's just meet up. Let's connect because you have to make an effort to do it, right? You, you can't expect to go somewhere and like, Oh, all the AI solopreneurs, you know, they meet up magically at the same spot. So yeah, but if you are open to uh, make the first step, I think then you have those hotspot places, right? I think Copenhagen is also one if you go to Bali, no matter where you go, basically every bigger European city has a scene. I don't like the word digital nomads and I would also wouldn't call myself a digital nomad because I'm, I still have like home bases and long-term I still see myself living in two places, maybe like living half of the year in Asia and half of the year, I don't know, somewhere in Europe. But yeah, in the end, it all comes down to how open you are yourself and you'll find opportunity if you look for it. Yeah, and what you're looking for in life. I think that's uh, what you've built to be able to live in multiple locations throughout the year is really cool. And, you know, something I, I aspire to do in my life, too. And it's one of the reasons that I became an English teacher was I knew that that would be a good reason to, like, you know, yeah. legally reside in other countries and have a home base in France and be able to travel during vacation, home base in Bangkok, home base in Seoul. And then uh, China was the other place I taught English in. Now, you know, since the pandemic hit, finding this niche in the podcast economy, I really mm -hmm. kind of opened up things too, where I don't need to follow a school season schedule where I'm, you know, have to be there for the school year and get a couple months off in the summer. I really can kind of set my own 
schedule of where to be and can go back to America and Minnesota's one home base and then here in South Korea too. But we just finished a three month trip through Europe. I, uh, you know, did the 90 day tourist visa. My wife and one year old daughter making, finding the time to make videos and make the posts and everything. And it's all totally okay to do in this digital economy. And then, yeah, like you said, I actually meet Linus Ekenstam in Barcelona when I was there because, and it was just like this, yeah, Twitter connection thing. And then through Imagine AI Live, he was, um, you know, hoping to be a guest. And so we were able to meet and had a really cool conversation. And I saw his studio and everything. It's really interesting how before the internet, like the friends you'd make based on like location, you know, and the people yeah. in your general surrounding and it's more, more about interest of like tribe than of like actual interests. It's a little bit like content, right? Like content consumption used to be more based on like social graph. And now it's based on interest graph, right? And I feel like it's kind of the same thing with friendships. As you said, it's like more location-based or like social circle-based where you grow up or whatever or where you live. But with content or online, it's way more, hey, I'm into the same things, right? I'm into the same like weird subreddit. Let's, let's meet up somewhere, right? And I think that's really cool because that's like really one of the big upsides of also of producing content that like people that reach out to you most likely already kind of they filtered for, oh, I'm interested in that kind of person, so I'm going to reach out, right? So, oh, they want to kill you, maybe. <laughs> That's <laughs> the other part. But, like, most likely you'll have, like, a, a really cool connection with them. And they already also know some stuff about you. Sometimes it's a little bit weird because it's, like, this one-sided connection sometimes. And you meet someone and they're like, hey, and you blah, 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 you're into this, into that. And I'm like, oh, my God, like, I've never met this person. But it's also cool because I feel like it breaks the ice so much faster. If you have something right. to talk about, that's like, I think you connect more via values than just like, hey, we like live next door, right? Uh, which also can be cool. So on the other hand, I think a lot of people that really go into this, oh, online is the best thing ever. They really disregard their like natural surroundings. And I think living somewhere without anyone around you is like a shit life for me. The best case is you find those people that are interested in the same things and then you take everyone and you move to the same place. I think that's like the, the best way to do it. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, there could be room for that for an AI solopreneur little village or village. city <laughs> yeah. out there somewhere. I was lucky to go to Balaji's the Network State Conference in Amsterdam, and that's a, one of the big themes was these like you know kind of off the grid communities of like like minded people, and they just want to start their own country. And uh, yeah, you know, it's definitely in the <laughs> realm of like next level. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's definitely next level. I usually do this in the beginning of the podcast I, we didn't really touch on like your kind of upbringing your background you mentioned getting into crypto was that your first thing that you got into or was there something before that you know before ai came on the scene yeah i always got really into things you know <laughs> things being anything so yeah. uh, i think like i'm really like curious and obsessive person once i find something so it started with getting into music when I was young. I just bought a guitar and I practiced for like 14 hours. I couldn't play anything until I could. Deciding I want to do that and really sucking at it for a long time in the beginning. So um, I also started producing music professionally when I was younger. Uh, so I was an artist and a music producer, a DJ, that stuff. What city in Germany did you grow up in? I grew up in... Münster, which is like in Western Germany, but then I lived in Berlin for the last 13 years, oh, like, okay. for like basically. So yeah, was into music, then moved into crypto in like 2017. The ICO bubble kind of like at yeah, Ethereum, exactly. Bitcoin going up. The first big hype cycle in crypto. I was paying yeah. attention then too, for sure. 
Yeah. I was really interested also because I never thought about things like how money works. So I got really obsessed with that stuff. So crypto really hit a nerve. Obviously, it was also great that you could make money with it. So like, let's not kid ourselves. Like, but um, I really stayed for it also when like times look really bad. Um, I took the time to study how it works, how markets work. So I really kind of got my financial education, like just learning by doing and really building a network in the space of people like from VCs to whatever private equity people, people running family. Like, we had this like really weird group of like just anonymous people. And like after some years, I found out some of these people had these like crazy things they're running. So again, but like really built on top of communities. I've been doing crypto stuff with the same people since like beginning of 2017. And we do a call each week. So for the last wow. how many years? Six or seven years, yeah. What's your thesis there? What what are you kind of focused on more? I mean, I'm doing the same. Like I'm pretty good like at trading and spotting momentum. So I'm not a day trader or anything. I'm really like a kind of like mini hype cycle uh, narrative swing trader. I know how to trade like technically. I know some people are like oh you can't read charts. I'm like yeah that's the stupidest thing people say. But uh, <laughs> so I'm trading like on a technical basis in combination with like finding a narrative because there's always like sectors of the market that are especially new, especially innovative, or they have like just a new round of hype to them. And if you play crypto, you have to play them those. So I obviously I have some Bitcoin, I have some Ethereum, but I mainly play these other things and um, just like rotate in and out of them. I'm not spending too much time on it anymore. I'm also doing like pre-seed, uh, pre-sale and seed deals from time to time because I also have a network for that. But there for is no like crypto one... projects or for startup yeah. projects crypto for crypto. Project. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So I don't have this like one big thesis like oh my god. Solana is going to overtake anything, everything, whatever. And I simply also don't care. I fundamentally don't care. I also don't think, like, to be honest with you, I think Bitcoin has amazing fundamentals and there's a place for it in the world. But I also believe like crypto people love to make it bigger as it is in terms of like how much it impacts the general public. So I'm playing it because I know those markets. I could also play the stock market and I also do that. But in crypto, like I've been involved in it for such a long time that I feel like I have like an information advantage and a good network around me. And that's really important to find these, yeah, these kind of plays. That's how you get the edge. And so is that Twitter? It sounds like you have this group of friends, group of crypto enthusiasts that people that are interested in the space, pay attention to the space and you confer with each other once a week. Where else do you try to get your edge if it's not like crypto Twitter or are you in some of these discord groups? Uh, anything you can share yeah. there? So first of all, it's like really being able to like chart technically because most people they don't, they, they can't do that. They haven't spent enough time doing that for years and years and to really understand like the fine tuning of that skill. So that's the first of it. And then it's really like talking. It's not, a, I don't find it on Twitter and it's, it's really understanding how to read data on chain. It's years and years of experience of like understanding data and also understanding sentiment and talking to the right people that are involved with the, and so for each sector, I know some people who are involved more with that. So maybe someone gives me a, a hint. Okay, may, let's look into that. So it's, it's all about information asymmetry, I'd say, but also on the other hand, because a, a price chart like includes all the information, right? I also know people who've traded their ways from, I don't know, a couple of thousand dollars to like tens of millions of dollars, just looking at charts, like completely ignoring what anyone says, never listening to any news. Never be on Twitter once. So there's also a way to do that. So there are many different ways how to do that. But in general, I'm still saying my mantra is like, I don't recommend anyone like getting into trading who wants to make money online. I think that's very bad advice. 
and I'm also like switching my technique more to a little bit like a longer term a buy and hold strategy. But because I spent so much time relatively like to how fast crypto moves, I spent like full three market cycles that I, I can say like I know how to do that stuff without like spending a lot of time in it and also with like really thinking about how to uh, manage my risk. So I do it. I would be stupid not to do it because I have the skill now. But if you're just getting started, I think it's a very like the shiny thing, right? Like, like oh, I can like build an online business that takes all the hard work and have to learn about marketing, have to learn about how to build a product, have to build an audience. Or I can just buy a meme coin and it goes a thousand X, right? That sounds way... It's like the Ozempic versus like going to the gym each, each day. Like people do always choose the easy way. So I just want to make this clear. Like I'm not here telling anyone like crypto is easy, it's easy to make money. It's absolutely not. And most people will lose their money. <laughs> so how did uh, Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX f*** you over? Yeah, I mean, like they're pretty simple to explain. Like I just had substantial funds on FTX. Never expected FTX to be the like bad actor. Maybe some complacency on my side. And then I also missed the like last opportunity window to get out because I was sleeping. It was like late US time. So as a European, I was asleep and uh, then it just was too late. I also think like without this happening, I wouldn't have spent as much time on creating AI Solopreneur. Now I have that, right? So I see my first post that really took off on LinkedIn was my post on that day about basically I f***ed up, you know, here's what I've learned from losing money on FTX. And I wrote a post and I think it reached like 500,000 people on LinkedIn. And a lot of people reached out to me and I'm now working with people that I met through that post, which I think is super interesting, right? Because like I could have just sit down and I wasn't sure if I wanted to post it. It felt kind of weird because it felt like, hey, I'm an idiot. Look at me, right? I'm dumb. I am in crypto for so long, but I'm still super dumb. I didn't have anything, still had money on a ledger, but I still had way too much on FTX because I wanted to buy the dip. But yeah, in the end, I think it was a positive for me, like looking on it long term. But yeah, I hope it doesn't happen again. <laughs> Let's yeah. put it like this. One door closes and another opens. And so how fast did that door close? Like, I remember the news, like whiffs of things. I mean, when did it get on your radar that there is something fishy happening at FTX? I think a couple of hours when I really understood, okay, this is really bad. Because in crypto, you have these like campaigns all the time, right? Oh, Binance is going to go insolvent. And it's like, yeah, of course, like always, every second week, something like hit piece comes out. So it's very hard if you're in crypto to really understand. Sometimes like, usually I would just always take my funds off. If anything like is in the air, it's like maybe something's going to happen. Okay, I would just take it off. But with FTX, I was with FTX like from the beginning. I was was my main trading platform for like a several years. So my trust was too high, which was a mistake. So yeah, but I uh, paid the price. Yeah. And then how quickly from that did you switch into AI? And was it kind of like a wear of AI at that point? Or when did you like get the light bulb to make get into the AI newsletter? So FTX happened, I think, 11th of November. And ChatGPT came out 30th of November, something like that. So ChatGPT came out very shortly after that happened. And I remember being at like the Christmas table or after food, I was playing around with ChatGPT and I showed it to my parents. So around that time, I really got into it. So it was not a long time. I think like one month after that. And then I started posting about it on my personal account. And in April, I started the AI Solopreneur. So around like four to five months to really get going with a new project. Yeah, but didn't take super long. 
Yeah. What do your parents think of your career? I'm sure they did not imagine you doing something like this uh, when you were a kid. <laughs> they're just used to that. I do stuff that they don't understand, you know. If they, they're like, oh, yeah, you got to figure it out, you know. So um, they're very supportive. But the German media loves to hate stuff that's new. So they really love to hate on crypto all the time. And once ChatGPT came out, they also hate on ChatGPT, of course because something new but yeah i think they just trust me that i know what i'm doing and i think now i have a track record of spotting some stuff like over the years now at the right time where people were still like um i don't know if it's gonna get big or not so yeah they're just supportive yeah well the difference between ai and crypto is that ai like does stuff for you right now that's beneficial and augments your life like you can see the value of it right away by talking to chat gpt and crypto is you know it's more about money and this idea for potential of new economies opening up and where ai provides that value right away it's, it's such a tipping point i still think you like most people underestimate like how hard it is to change habits for most people most people would rather do something the hard way that they know than learning a new way that's easier so we are really inside a bubble of people that use this stuff most people don't or they've tried it once and they don't know how to use it and they stop or they start using it or they stop till after a couple of weeks because they're like ah oh. like they have this like initial like oh my god this is so cool but they don't have the systems to really integrate it into work so again like with every new technology yes like i'm totally on the same uh, page like ai is easier to like grasp in terms of okay this actually can change my life not like bitcoin that maybe i don't have money to invest or i don't care about money most people have like some kind of i don't know information-based job or a computer-based job so i think most people can understand the potential but still it takes time like it's not something that's going to come out and everyone will use it. And obviously the market will also take care of that, right? If you have company A and company B and company A starts using AI and they're just 30% more productive or 40%, you're, then you maybe like, hmm, okay, maybe I should change something. It's going to destroy me otherwise. I think the market takes care of that. Or maybe some countries integrate it more, they become more competitive. So it's also about market dynamics. But yeah, people have to be careful about like, you can't change someone if they don't want to change themselves, right? So you can't go anywhere and be like, hey, you have to use AI. If they don't feel the need to use AI, they won't use it, but they just feel pissed off. And I think it's really important to understand that. It's still early. Like, let's not kid ourselves, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's still so early. And you kind of bring up a good point where there's so many jobs and professions that don't require AI. Like, you're not going to need to pull out ChatGPT. In the service industry, for example, like if you're running a service industry, if you're like the business side of things, but if you're actually like interacting with customers in the real world and, you know, you don't need to pull out a you know, your screen to ask questions it's really for the information economy the creative industries um tech industries where there's kind of the immediate use cases for it yeah. where some people would never need to you know chat with chat gpt to benefit their a job yeah super interesting we're still in the early innings for sure so are you excited to come to las vegas and the imagine ai live conference Yes, sir. Of course. Yeah. First of all, like I'm just looking forward to meet so many people that I've just met online. People like Linus. I've talked to him on Zoom, but like really looking forward to meet the organizers, to meet you. And yeah, I think it's going to be amazing because especially generative AI is still so new. It feels a little bit for me, like I've talked to Steve about that. In the beginning for crypto, we had like these cyberpunks, cryptographic, like super nerdy dev guys. And then with like, when they rebranded it to Web3, like with NFTs, you had a new like cultural wave and that was way different in terms of demographics. And I feel like with generative AI, it's a little bit like that. So you have the like old school machine learning, whatever 
scientific professor people like mm-hmm. uh, that are really into technical aspects of it and that's great you know but, so i think it will be cool to have an event where also a lot of like the generative ai people can meet because it's still so new right like there are many conferences around the topic so i'm really looking forward to that conversations to also feel the vibe because like you can't really tell is this my vibe if you've never met someone right and if you just talk mm-hmm. to people online and then on the other hand obviously i'm hyped to go to vegas has been on my list for a long time i mean i lost money on ftx i'm ready to lose some money in vegas i guess so really good at losing right. money yeah looking forward to it i think will be amazing i haven't been in the u.s for a long time so yeah really hyped to go awesome yeah we're super psyched that you can make it from europe or if you're coming from asia and to have some other european uh stars in the generative ai scene as well to be there it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier just you know where do you actually meet these people in real life and that's what we really want the imagine ai live conference to feel like like a in-person in real life meeting of all these cool people in the scene you know people that are actually experimenting yeah. with it and building with it every day um so super psyched for that so I, i'm thinking of something that steve asked me to tell you that i'm not sure if we're going to put in the final one but he was like make sure to ask only about psychedelics so, <laughs> I, I knew it before you yeah. said it i knew you're gonna ask it yeah okay <laughs> so what do i have to know what you have to know i think everyone has to find out for themselves i think first of all everyone who doesn't know anything about psychedelics should really like ask themselves like what are their beliefs about them because a lot of beliefs about psychedelics were born in the like drug wars like 70s and 80s like you know you're gonna take acid and you're gonna jump out of the building or maybe someone did right but like every year hundreds of thousands people die from drinking right so it's not really an argument but people will still use the same arguments. Okay, this is why it's bad. It's you, you're going to go mad or whatever. It's like, in my point of view, psychedelics are not recreational drugs to me. They're more of things that have to be taken with a great care, with accompanied by professionals. That can be like a medical professional for some people, but also someone who just learned how to create these spaces around these treatments for a long time. So I think it's really important if you're interested in psychedelics to really inform yourself first, read some books about it, about like how it actually works and what to expect to talk to people. But then like for me, the biggest shift that happened to me was like once I've done it in a like guided session in Holland. So I went to this place by this guy in Twello, which is close to Amsterdam, and I did like a one-to-one session. And I really understood that it's like such... I think there's a reason why humans have been doing psychedelics since the beginning of time and... Especially we are in tech and we are so crazy, like disconnected to our natural world, to our surroundings, also to the people around us. Like we live in huge cities. People are lonely ever before. There's more anxiety. There's more depression. You know, there are people just addicted to their phones, like trapped in a dopamine treadmill. So it's not like people are doing great, right? You should think people will be doing great. But I think psychedelics are really a vehicle, like to understand yourself better and to like reconnect what really matters in your life. And that's like, your physical surrounding, the people around you, but also your like own emotional body. And especially in our time, I think so many people are so emotionally disconnected to who they really are. And if you look on Twitter, especially in AI or um, people call money Twitter, it's like really just like, one side of the coin of life. And I think, and this is a big topic to talk about, right? But there's definitely a correlation of people being less religious and there's like a kind of a void in the human soul to be filled. So I think like, Psychedelics also offer an entry to, some people call it spirituality, but basically I think it's about knowing yourself, but there's also risk attached to it. And the risk becomes much greater if you're not in a safe surrounding, if you don't know what you're doing, if you don't know about your dose, if you, you know, there are also like bad people 
guiding people through trips mm. who have bad intentions. Yeah. So it's really important speaking from a trader's mind to roll, to know your risk to reward, to know what are the risky parts here and how can I minimize them. But I think if you do that, that like psychedelics really offer life-changing experiences and they can really help people overcome like deep psychological issues. And I just talk from my own experience and I just hope that we find like a way to get legal access with proper guidance in terms of therapy um, accompanied by it. Yeah, because I think that's super substantial. Yeah, well, thanks so much for sharing that. I tend to agree with you. And I think in the U.S., there are a lot of states that are making this possible now, yeah, so, including yeah. with other some other treatments as well, dealing with PTSD and things like that. I think, yeah, uh, yeah you're right, that alcohol industry and just damage that does on the human body and, and society and just how it's such a part of culture and, you know, to shun these other ways of expressing and living um, doesn't make much sense. So in America, as you'll see, if you haven't been there in a while, I mean, we're being plagued by opioid and meth epidemic, which are like, you know, yeah. some horrible, horrible drugs. So, well, Ole, thank you so much for being on the Imaginative podcast. It's been a pleasure having you on. I can't wait to see you and meet you in Las Vegas. I'll be a personal tour guide for you if you want. Awesome. Um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm a former couch surfer and really want to make sure that all of our international crowd at the conference have a great time. So looking forward to that and uh, talking to you more soon. Thank you so much for being in an open book and diving deep into your business and your life. And it was a great time. So thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you.